Welcome to the show where we interview our network of B2B SaaS experts. This is the Notion Capital Podcast, hosted by Paul Papadimitriou. Hi, and today I'm with Jeff. Hi, Jeff. So, who are you? Well, Paul, I am a future of work specialist, consultant, who has over 30 years of human resource leadership experience, both with uh, major multinational brands, but uh, most recently in the past 14 years with hyper-growth startups and small to medium-sized enterprises that are typically looking to grow at an accelerated rate. And I focus now, in the past three years, on what the future of work is bringing to us and doing to us in the workplace and making making sure that organizations are prepared for this exciting journey here in the Industry 4.0 era. What is uh, the name of your company so that people can know it? Yes, Digital Works Group, and I am the partner in charge of the Digital People Practice. First of all, you know, when we talk about high-growth startups, the word that comes across the most is obviously customer, customer, customer. Is the employee a customer as well within the organization? Yeah, I certainly would argue as much. I think it's oftentimes a bit of a miss uh, where we kind of ignore the people who are delivering the customer experience that we ultimately think will differentiate us in the marketplace without basically thinking about what kind of an experience our employees are having. And so, yeah, absolutely, I would argue that internally, our consumers are those folks who are in the journey of delivering an optimized customer experience. And so, therefore, I think it's really critical to ensure that the employee experience, or EX, is equal and on par with what we're trying to create in terms of a customer experience or CX. So, yeah, it's interesting because you're basically using the same lingo that a lot of people in marketing would actually use. You use the term journey, you use the term experience, obviously. You're clearly focused on creating an employee experience. So can you maybe tell us a little bit how it looks like, what it could be the ideal scenario, how you've seen it over the 30 years of your career, maybe also evolving and what it should look like today? <laughs> absolutely. A very lengthy topic, but you absolutely hit on something I think that's very important, which is I am still stealing from all of the great work that our compatriots in consumer marketing have already gone down, arguably over 10 years ago, whereby they have gotten a lot smarter and a bit more scientific with regard to how it is we look at consumers and we watch and uh, listen to their behavior around our particular products. And so what we're doing in sort of the future of work practices is kind of reverse engineering that for the employees. And the employee experience is really simply nothing more than the culmination of the ideas, opinions, and experiences that employees have on a day-to-day -day basis in their work environment. What we try to do then is to be a lot more intentional and a lot more specific with how it is we understand our employees by developing personas, by trying to understand the archetypes of employees within our organizations, and then kind of map out different experiences that they are likely to have whilst coming to us originally, being attracted to us as a brand, going through the recruitment process, onboarding with us, partaking in uh, training and development, and engaging with us in the first 30, 60, 90 days, and then all of the experiences that sort of occur thereafter. And oftentimes, it's interesting, we <laughs> have sadly treated the employees as sort of the last step in the process of thinking intentionally about what they care about. And we have to kind of turn that around 
my experience very early on in my career, going back, gosh, when I was back in New York City, working primarily with investment banks like Goldman Sachs, Merrill Lynch, Morgan Stanley, also working with professional services organizations like Arthur Anderson, really dating myself now, PeopleSoft and EDS. These were organizations that from a brand perspective, an employer brand perspective, you were just so proud of talking to people about when you went out to you know parties or spoke to your families during holidays. Everybody was just chuffed to bits about the fact that you worked, you know, say for Goldman Sachs or for Morgan Stanley or EDS. You were sort of, you know, looked upon as being somebody quite special. And arguably that was true. It was extraordinarily difficult to get into those organizations. The scrutiny with which they put you under the microscope and try to investigate how smart you were and try to anticipate how effective and productive you would be with them was intense, to say the very least. Sadly, that experience didn't get a lot better once you actually joined the company. It was very much the scenario of kind of like, you know, you're only as good as your last deal. And you kind of woke up every day feeling less than. You woke up feeling like, wow, today I'm going to get found out. Uh, today I'm going to trip over myself. They're going to fire me. They're going to treat me badly. I'm not going to get that promotion. I'll never see that bonus. And you just, you know, kind of lived with this, this kind of overarching fear if you will, of what your day was going to bring and what a horrific, you know, kind of emotional state to go to work in. Not to mention, you know, your commute, not to mention what the toils and troubles of the day would typically bring. And then, of course, you would carry that right back to your home life. And typically the net effect of that was, you know, broken relationships, a lot of internal turmoil and a lot of frustration. And so, you know, I kind of found myself thinking long and hard about this. And it was right around the time that the dot-com boom really kind of exploded out in California. And I was lucky enough to kind of ride that wave with PeopleSoft when I went out to Pleasanton and kind of experienced firsthand what people were on about. And very interestingly, um, the work suddenly had become very, very interesting. It caused people to basically disrupt everything they knew about how business worked, primarily from a computational perspective, much less so today, where people are, are looking to kind of disrupt business models and processes and everyday life events in a much more holistic fashion. But it was still exciting. People were treating employees very, very differently. Employees suddenly had the upper hand. Employees brought critical expertise to the organization that the organization would fail without. And so we kind of turned that relationship on its head a bit. And suddenly it was all about how do we create an environment that attracts the absolute very best, that keeps them engaged, and that makes people feel like superstars and heroes as opposed to feeling like Duracell batteries that are just going to get drained and kicked out the door. That to me was a real turning point in my career. Sadly, I didn't see a lot of, you know, organizations outside the sort of dot-com boom embrace a lot of this, albeit it started to come to light to, you know, the more mainstay organizations across a variety of different industries that they too needed to start treating their employees with a bit more respect. Um, and wouldn't that be clever? You know, possibly some of these things are economic, you know, when the economy's booming, you know, jobs aplenty, you know, suddenly the employee potentially has the lower hand. And when things get tight and things get difficult, suddenly the employers have the upper hand. So it's a bit of an interesting kind of ride to kind of go on. But my experience over here, working with hyper-growth uh, startups and mid-size enterprises, primarily in the high-tech area, has been absolutely phenomenal. And I've seen a real push toward 
really kind of engineering, if you will, the ultimate employee experience, which is very much, again, this culmination of how people feel emotionally about engaging with work, which means that you then have to kind of go back and reverse engineer all the experiences that they have in terms of how they interact with various components of your organization over the course of their entire life cycle as an employee. And that, to me, is fascinating work. I love doing it, and I find it's very, very easy to piggyback on the very same sorts of things you're trying to do for your customers. You know, when we try to develop products for our customers nowadays, you spend time talking to your customers, oddly enough. You don't just go invent products in a dark room somewhere and then basically come out and talk to your advertising and marketing people about how do you make this relevant for an audience of people with money to take. You basically talk to your customers and you design for their needs, for their requirements, products that they think are going to be best suited for that, best priced, best positioned, and most relevant. That is very much the same sort of path that I think we need to kind of go down with our employees to make sure, again, we are designing experiences and workplace environments and ways of working and digital tools to enable all of that in such a way that it really creates a combined employee experience that is extraordinary and that stands out and differentiates itself from other employers. So that's that's very much uh, the way we think about it nowadays. You've used the term archetype, so I'm going to use another marketing term here. Do you segment then even further the type of employees? Do you go into treating the experience of an employee that is in sales differently from an employee that is in development, for instance? Yeah, no, absolutely, Paul. So when we develop personas to understand more deeply uh, the employee population, we absolutely do segmentation really kind of in two ways. One is what sort of a job type do they typically have? Because that oftentimes does a terrific job of basically aggregating a series of characteristics that you can presume about people, as you mentioned, in sales and or in marketing or in development and so forth. Um, The other thing that we do is we also look at demographic information because that often is also the other, you know, kind of massive predictor, if you will, of archetypes and or stereotypes that you can kind of mash together. So oftentimes I'll take a persona and I'll look at, uh, you know, say a guy named Bob. Bob lives in our IT organization. Bob is the IT architect. And he ensures, as an example, that he makes sure all of the internal IT network operations and all of the employee-facing functionality that exists on our laptops and various devices is up and running and working seamlessly and coherently to optimize our ability to communicate and to collaborate and to share information internally. Now, Bob is also you know, a 45-year-old father of three. He's got two kids that are getting very close to university age. And Bob is also married. He likes to travel quite a bit. His wife is a travel writer, in fact. And so every once in a while, Bob would like to, you know, kind of take time off work to basically go around with his wife and to kind of experience some of the things that she enjoys doing in her role and uh, like to take the kids along as well. So Bob basically has some special requirements and needs from time to time in wanting to kind of take larger chunks out of his work life to do some traveling. He also has some financial requirements coming up, which are quite challenging for most families to get through in terms of sending kids off to university. And from time to time, he also has commitments to them. And so these are the real people that 
basically live and work with us on a daily basis. And if we don't sort of take into account, you know, who these individuals are and what potentially, you know, kind of special requirements and what expectations they have from their work life, we're going to get it wrong. And you can imagine just how horrible it would be if Bob's life was very much, you know, the fact that he was glued to work 24-7. He got calls in the middle of the night about the IT systems going down. He was never able to take a functional holiday, as we imagine it, where you could just shut off, turn off, and move forward. So, you know, we have to think from a human resource perspective, how best can we enable Bob to really enjoy his life such that he is refreshed, engaged, excited, and continues to do a wonderful job for us? That's the kind of stuff that we need to kind of engineer into Bob's life, Bob's work life, and also then kind of potentially project that onto other people who nowadays, even the millennial generation, are very much enjoying a work-life balance experience, which is a lot more meaningful and purposeful to them than has ever been the case before. That's basically how we do that. So segmentation is exactly the kind of process we typically engage with. And that was a very, very good shout. So again, stolen directly from the consumer marketing realm. Another term you used earlier on, you talked about product. When you build a product, when you build an experience here for employees, you look at the soft product and the hard product. Soft products, you know, human relationships, for instance. And the hard product is one that we hear a lot these days. You know, everybody talks about Slack, for instance, about instant communication tools within the enterprise team organization. Is that something you also look at? Isn't that something that is maybe emphasized too much over the soft part of it? Well, it's interesting because <laughs> it really depends on who you're talking to. In the consultancy world and the future, of work world, oftentimes people go as a default directly to technology because technology yeah. right now is exploding in the sort of human capital management realm. And there are thousands of products coming to market that are seemingly trying to address a variety of challenges that human beings have in the work environment to make that basically a much more workable and a much more natural and seamless level of interaction, productivity, collaboration, innovation. So there's a hell of a lot of tech out there right now. The interesting part about that is naturally then everybody gets excited about the shiny new objects and starts to basically migrate toward, I guess, as you describe it, the sort of hard products. The problem with that is that you forget, again, <laughs> what you're trying to solve for, which is really, again, the human factors element. And we should never forget that at the end of the day, this is all about the humanization if you will, of what has otherwise been a fairly Orwellian kind of work experience created by the likes of folks like, you know, Frederick Taylor, you know, all the way back in the 1920s when they were trying yeah. to kind of engineer the work experience, you know, in the Industrial Revolution and trying to figure out, you know, how do we get more out of people in a very short period of time and brace ergonomics and movement around assembly lines and things of that nature. And frankly, you know, the kind of world of work and the way that work was constructed really kind of grew from that root, which is really unfortunate because that very much presumed then we were nothing more than power plants that ultimately would be <laughs> thrust against a job and drained over the course of time. And when we finally kind of just were completely wasted, sick, burned out, tired, or whatever the case, and our performance dropped off, we got tossed aside. And that was very much, I don't mean to kind of paint every work experience as being that, but unless you were fairly Machiavellian about how it is you approached work, you know, you typically would end up on the, the losing end of that equation. Nowadays, we're talking about something very, very different. We're talking about getting back to human needs again, and, and notions like, you know, creating a trusted environment, developing a sense of hope in people around a vision and a mission 
to get something done that is going to change the world for the better. Developing a personal sense of competence and mastery is super important for people as a sense of purpose. And that ultimately kind of equals a sense of self-worth and that sense that, you know what, I am becoming in just about every aspect of my life something better than I was before. And that's around the three kind of classic elements of body, mind, and spirit. This is really the kind of thing that we're trying to solve for nowadays, embarrassingly trying to pull ourselves out of the train wreck that was, you know, Frederick Taylor's dream that human beings could just be used up and tossed aside and more human beings would fall in behind them. So we kind of talk about now, you know, how do we then engineer collaboration? How do we engineer cooperation? How do we give people a sense of personal control and autonomy? How do we develop that sense of mastery and competence? And then how do we ultimately create a cultivation environment that people gravitate toward as opposed to migrate away from or force unnaturally to happen. This is really kind of what we're trying to create is a sense of a community outside of your family that is of equal weight and importance, as well as a sense of belonging and a sense of contribution, purpose, meaning. These are the things that are important to us, oddly enough. And if we don't, you know, if we don't address this stuff where people are spending two thirds of their lives in a work environment, we are never going to get the potential out of these people that we'd hope to. So this is why we have to engineer experience into our everyday thinking about humans, because if we're not dealing with the totality of the human being, that we're missing a point and nobody's going to want to bring their whole lives to work, body, mind, and soul. They're just going to leave a chunk of that at home and just drag, you know, that miserable bit that they have to kind of get through a day with and do what they can to get by. And then they're going to leave as quickly as they can do and possibly only give us two, three hours of productivity a day. That's what we're trying to avoid. Well, Jeff, uh, we'll talk more about this in the next episode because we have so much more to talk about. Great. Thank you very much, Paul.